Support for NPR and the following message come from Ally. While you're working hard, is your money being lazy? Make your money work harder than ever with Ally's new smart savings tools. For all things money, you deserve an Ally. Visit ally.com. Ally Bank member FDIC. When Avengers Endgame came out in late April, it got good reviews, including from us, and it did huge business. As with everything we talk about, we didn't want to spoil it for you, so some of its biggest developments went unanalyzed. But no more. We thought this one deserved a second look before we bid this chapter of the Marvel Universe farewell. So today we are discussing and revealing with abandon. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. Spoilers abound on this Avengers Endgame spoiled episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR, so don't go away. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the University of Alabama, offering Bama by distance. Choose from over 70 premier bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degree programs in a flexible online format in areas including business, communications, social work, education, and more. Give your career a boost through the University of Alabama's online degree programs. Learn more or apply today at bamabydistance.ua.edu. Welcome back. You just met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. Also with us is Glenn Weldon of the NPR Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. In case you need us to say it again, this episode contains all of the information about what happens in basically all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies so far, including Avengers Endgame. (laughs) Okay, Everything is on the table. So, so Glenn, thumbnail sketch. What happens in all 22 of these unbelievably Byzantine superhero movies? So just be aware, this is for the spoiler unaverse. This is just go ahead and reveal everything. The first thing we're going to talk about is, I think, as they were leading up to this film, I think there's a lot of discussion, was somebody big going to die? And a lot of the speculation that I heard was around Captain America. Yeah, including the speculation that I did at our prediction show. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and it turned out that they killed Tony Stark instead, Uh, Iron Man. Yep. So Tony Stark went down in a blaze of glory, snapping... Uh, The final snap that made everybody safe, kept everything the way they had been trying to get it. I don't even know. By committing an act of genocide. By committing an act of genocide. It's true. But but in doing so, apparently it's very draining when you you snap (laughs) the Infinity Gauntlet. Worked okay for Thanos, but apparently for for anybody else. Yeah, for Hulk. But apparently for anybody else, it is uh, a lot. So he said, I am Iron Man. He snapped and he died. Yep. He and snapped then, and he died. He snapped and he died. And then, of course, it ends with his funeral. Uh, Glenn, how did this work for you as a, a kind of a, an emotional climax? Uh, well, it's, the thing is, if Captain America had died, it would have been hugely satisfying. And I said that back in our predictions episode because, I mean, I was 100% sure that Captain America was going to buy it because... He would sacrifice himself, saving the universe. One of the first acts we see him do in Captain America, the first Avenger, is throwing himself on, on a, grenade a grenade to yeah. to save everybody. Like, that's his thing. He's the moral center of the uh, MCU. He's inflexible. He didn't die. He got turned into CGI Joe Biden, right? That's basically <laughs> what happened. And his growth was that he became flexible. He went back in time to place the world on the same path it was before, with the pain, with the the path to ruin and the path to repair, by not preventing that ruin or the suffering that came from it because he made a promise to Tony not to do that because Tony had a kid, which 
Okay. Something, something. Um, something, something. The time right. travel stuff. Look, I asked the Russos themselves who, who directed this movie and a couple of other ones. Is it not the case that any time travel movie will eventually come down to, I don't know. Uh, yeah, whatever. And it's, I mean, they basically admitted that yeah. that's the case. Anyway, go ahead. I was 100% sure that Cap was going to die. I was 90% sure that Tony was going to die because they already had him go through this ultimate sacrifice thing right. before his story had been told out. And what I like about his ending is that, yes, he was a hero. Yes, he saved the universe. There's also a core selfishness there because he did, he did demand that those five years went between the snapshot and everybody coming back, not go away, which means he loves his kids so much, which means that in the entire universe now, 50% of the universe is five years younger than the other 50% of it, which is just going to complicate things. So every time anybody in any future MCU thing has to go, well, oh, it was like supposed to be a high school senior Uh or whatever, (laughs) they're going to be remembering that Tony Stark was really about himself at the end. Yeah. How about you, Thompson? Man, you know, going back and, and revisiting the plot of this movie, I was really struck by how how much of the time travel stuff completely falls apart the second you think about it. And the more kind of Byzantine and headache-inducing it became. And it kind of drowned out the fact that I, I still found this a very satisfying movie, right? Yeah, I like, found it very satisfying. And, mm-hmm. and, and you realize, as, as I was taking notes on all the things that happened in the movie and all the things we might be discussing and all the things we couldn't spoil and all the systems that got us from half the universe is gone to half the universe is now back, it is remarkable that they managed to fit that into a three-hour movie. Yeah. As for Tony Stark and Cap, I think the Tony Stark death made a lot of sense on a number of levels, starting with the fact that Robert Downey Jr. doesn't want to make these movies anymore. Right. I thought his made a lot of sense. That's that's his arc. He's a selfish jerk. He makes the ultimate sacrifice. And we've seen the entire process that leads him from one of those things to the other. I found the Captain America arc really emotionally satisfying. The fastest path to make me cry in a movie is to lavishly reward somebody for his or her sacrifice. And he gets to go back and live the life that he wanted with Peggy Carter. Now, of course, that sets into motion a whole bunch of other questions. Yeah, he's just playing golf? What? What's he doing? <laughs> the world I thought you were going to say playing God, like yeah. until nope. the end of that word, which I also think you can argue he's playing God yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit with Peggy But Carter. given what he's wearing at, at his body <laughs> sequence, I think he's played some golf. He's gone off. He's gone a few rounds. But I appreciate the fact that this character, who has always been about sacrifice, finally gets to experience reward. So exactly. in a way, he is taking right. the opposite path that Iron Man has has taken. Mm-hmm. Iron Man has lived a life of selfishness and ultimately pays at the end. Captain America has lived a life of selflessness and ultimately gets to indulge at the end. And I did find that So they kind of w- rub off on each other. They kind of rub off on each yeah. other in a way in a way that makes a lot of sense. Now at the same time in order to do this what you have done is taken I will use the word Byzantine every time we discuss mm-hmm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it is so sprawling the mythology is so sprawling and to me the one thing that i i'm not sure i needed added to it were multiple timelines yeah because you already have this such an obtuse list of explanations for all these interlocking characters that adding dimensions and timelines to it now i'm i'm completely lost well yeah i think that's true but i would i would argue that the value of those additional timelines turned out to be the ability to place the current storyline in sort of the 
context of the earlier storylines. So you get to kind of see, I mean, the one that sticks out the most to me, partly just because it was the funniest one, is Cap going back and fighting himself as much as a significantly younger and somewhat greener hero. And so you get this moment where kind of older Cap is kind of as they're fighting, younger Cap turns around or previous Cap or whatever you want to say, turns around and says, I can do this all day. Yeah. Which is kind of one of his little catchphrases. It's his like, it's his awesome, tough catchphrase. And older Cap says, I know. And it's just this very funny, he's almost exhausted by his own youthful vigor yeah. and, and enthusiasm. And I think, you know, when we first talked about this movie, it was hard for me to to talk around this point. I don't one, think we even use the term time heist. Y- which, no, I don't think yeah. so either. But I think one of the things that I like about it so much, and you really see it in that scene with Cap fighting Cap, is they have allowed these characters to age and change. And I think in that scene, you see Cap, he's still a hero, but he's a slightly more battered Mm -hmm. guy who has seen a different kind of pain and anguish than he had when he was a newer guy. And I agree with Stephen. I think the arc of him getting to experience some reward was rewarding. Yeah. And I think the fracturing of the plot to service all these different timelines, I mean, that worked for me because I do like the the fun of the time heist concept. And I it, also brought, it brought Ant-Man into it. Also. Brought Ant-Man into it. Also, like they go out of their way to say it, time doesn't work like Back to the Future. And then they indulge us for an entire act of just nothing but Back to the Future fun of them kind of like meeting their old selves and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and there's a scene between the Ancient One and Hulk where they try to explain exactly what's going on and why this is a, a different thing. All that goes away. All that kind of vanishes. I, uh, I'm telling you, they believe in it. Like yeah. the people who made the movie believe that they have given a coherent explanation, but I think that's always true. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Second time through, it's a lot more disjointed than I remember it because mm-hmm. as soon as you land into a specific new timeline, it has to unspool. And you kind of remember yeah. that you want to get to this big fight at the end, this right. great, amazing fight at the end. Right. With, with the coming back of, you know, uh, Cap on your left, like that little callback to Winter Soldier is just so mm-hmm. hugely satisfying <laughs> that you're just kind of waiting like, oh, here, here's uh, Tony dealing with his daddy issues. Okay, we get it. We get it. We get it. We yeah. move on. It yeah. is remarkable how well this thing pays off other movies that, that you've seen. Also, just revisiting it, I, I was just, all of this is one movie. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Now, you know, having dealt with kind of the big the big happening of, of Tony dying, there is also the big happening of Black Widow yeah. dying. Yeah. And she dies earlier in the film. She dies kind of second act, I would mm-hmm. say. End of second act-ish. It's, it's one of the things that they have to go do right. involves someone has to be sacrificed prior to Tony. And, and Hawkeye she... was right there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hawkeye, the, as I've said before, the Aunt Peggy of the <laughs> MCU. But he's right there and they go back and forth about which one of them is going to make the sacrifice because he wants to and then she wants right. to. And ultimately she does. And I think... I read a lot of reactions from, especially from women, who felt like the end of that arc for her was very unsatisfying. Felt like, I don't want to speak for other people, but I think part of the concern was because she dies in the place in the movie where she does, it doesn't have the heft of the death of Tony Stark, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the climax of the movie. And it's also dealt with very differently, as opposed to this giant funeral, which brings in everybody, including, as we said when we first talked about it, a bunch of Oscar winners who are basically extras. 
you know, rather than suddenly being like, oh, there's Michelle Pfeiffer, there's all these people, you don't have that. You have a much smaller gathering of just really the Avengers who miss her and are crying for her. There's, I think Mark Ruffalo is doing everything he can to to mm-hmm. highlight that Banner is feeling that quite a lot, as you would expect. But I do think it's a smaller death. And this is yeah. a, another thing that I, I asked the Russos about when I interviewed them. And they sort of made the point that She's a different kind of person than Tony is. She's not a public figure. She wouldn't have this big grand funeral. Mm -hmm. And also that her sacrifice was related to how we first met her, Mm -hmm. which was she felt that she owed this terrible debt because she had been an assassin and had a dark past and talked all about having read on her ledger and wanted to wipe it out and do good deeds and that maybe that sacrifice made sense. Glenn... Where are you coming down on on kind of those complaints versus that defense? I don't like her ultimate fate here because I also wasn't crazy about her entire arc because it was so much in service of other characters. And mm-hmm. I don't think she ever got a chance to be the, the fully fleshed out character that she should have been. They went out of their way to make it abundantly clear with a fighting right. back and forth between her and Hawkeye that right. she is choosing this. It's her agency. Raw that. But they just underused her. And the what her death does is it sets Hawkeye up, who was also an assassin, by the way, spent the first half of this film or yeah. whatever, an assassin, on a path to redemption that leads him ultimately back to family and marriage and whatever. I mean, come on. I mean, they, they're trying to make up with that right now with a Black Widow prequel, which is filming right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. But that's just going to collide with the stuff that... Uh, Joss Whedon did in Avengers where she exists to calm down the Hulk and she yeah. can't have kids so she's the, a monster yeah. and, and I see, what? I, I want, that's no, the stuff that's, I didn't like that's what I want to yeah. talk now, about now in that sorry. scene right where she says that we're supposed to I think they, they intend that to be I killed so many people therefore I'm a monster but the way it reads inevitably is I can't have kids therefore I'm a monster and that's just really a disservice to the actress, the character, everything about about well, Black Widow Well, and that hangs over her death yeah. right she's in effect dueling with Hawkeye to determine which one of them gets to make the sacrifice. They both want to make the sacrifice. And it really feels like it's coming down to, no, no, Hawkeye, you have a family you're trying to get back to. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't feel that her character was ever as effectively fleshed out as many of the others in the Marvel Universe. And Hawkeye, this movie... I really like this movie, but way too much Hawkeye. Uh, So when he kind of walked away from it, I was kind of like, are you kidding me? This was your opportunity for fan service directly (laughs) at me. Well, I I think that you're right. And I think Nat, that character, her character, Black Mm -hmm. Widow, was always all upside to me. I was interested in it because I think the performance is good. I think the Scarlett Johansson performance is good. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot there. I always liked the fact that she did so much hand fighting. I liked that from the first introduction of that character, the fact that it wasn't, you know, guns and weapons and all that stuff. She was primarily a hand fighter. And for women, I think in action movies, that's particularly unusual. So I appreciated it quite a lot. But I agree with you that at some point they do go out of their way to try to explain that she's the one who most kind of wants to recover after the snapture by going back to having some purpose and some kind of bring the group back together and get everybody working. And I think they try to build that. And I I sort of understand thematically where they're going. And I think you could have done that story. But I think it gets crowded here Mm -hmm. by all the other stuff that's happening. And unfortunately, as impressed as I am by what they packed into this film and 
as impressed as I am by the fact that it's three hours long and it didn't feel that long to me, I do think that's a piece that got shorted. And I think it made it even more. We can also talk a little bit about the moment during that epic fight where you see kind of all the women from all yeah. of the movies. Yep. All eight how, of them. How, <laughs> yeah, how do we feel about put, that? Put in the same shot. So you have Captain Marvel, you have the women from Black Panther, you have the women from movies like Ant-Man and the Wasp, so you have the Wasp, you have the characters that they do have mm-hmm. are all kind of put into the same shot, Mm -hmm. which when every woman you've ever had in a movie who talks practically can be (laughs) put in in the same shot, maybe that's an issue. Yeah, And, you know, I've heard them talk about this, the filmmakers, and say we were aware of the fact that it would feel like pandering, but we also really loved it and loved the look of it. And there's part of me that loved it, too. There's part of me that it was thrilling to see all of those women... You know, actresses like Denai Guerrero and these fantastic women. But at the same time, when you have that ending for Nat, it's hard to then feel like that really matters. This is also a film that uh, has entirely too much nebula torture. Uh, they yeah. return to this again. Yeah. And it, well, yeah. it's a lot. It's just a lot. As much as I delighted in some of the growth of these characters, and some of the growth was overnight. Like, we meet smarmy cardigan Hulk like, and we have no setup for that. None except that five years have passed, right? right. That's all we get. I did think that drunk stoner fat suit Thor was just lazy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a way to kind of telegraph indolent, broken, which is just like, this is not, yeah. you're not doing anything here. Yeah. What did you guys think about where this movie leaves off? Because they do some stage setting for future movies. There's obviously a Spider-Man movie coming out like mm-hmm. in a week or something. Yep. There's always a Spider-Man movie coming out in a week. Right. And that's evergreen. <laughs> we can just splice that in. Right. Um, but you have Thor going off with the Guardians of the Galaxy to form as Guardians of the Galaxy. So I like being at this stopping point. But now that we're at this spot, what do you think about where we're going next with these movies. They've set up a Thor Guardians of the Galaxy crossover. There's a Spider-Man movie coming out imminently because there always is, etc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of what they're doing here is setting up for not movies per se, but uh, Disney Plus, which is their Disney's streaming service. There's uh, several shows that are in the works. There's a Scarlet Witch and Vision show planned. There's a Falcon and Winter Soldier show plan, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because the Falcon is now Captain America, but yeah. we'll leave that aside. There is a Loki series, which was really set up because he escapes in one of the scene with, I think it's the Space Stone. It is. It is the Space Stone. And there's an animated What If series, which tells out-of-continuity stories. Now, Marvel is very clear that these are not going to be like the Netflix Marvel, which were mm-hmm. kind of like the distaff cousins. These are going to be centrally located in the MCU uh, so these are canon. These are canon, right, okay. exactly. So They're the only canon, two yeah. concrete movies we know are coming are Spider-Man Far From Home and Black Widow. Uh, beyond that, we don't really know. Well, and more Black well, Panther. Well, there's Guardi- and Guardians. There's got to be. And right. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah That's yeah. presumably going to have Thor. I, right? I think, you know, one of the things I thought about as I was watching this too is I care about this new generation of heroes. I certainly care about everybody who's in Black Panther, although I question whether I will care as much about Black Panther without Killmonger. Yeah. I think there are enough of those movies that have laid some really solid groundwork. The fact that there's only been one official Black Panther movie, there's only been one official Captain Marvel movie, those laid some really solid groundwork. And, And so... 
Lord knows I don't necessarily know if I'm champing at the bit for the next 22 movie mega series. Right. Yeah. But there are enough threads that I'm intrigued right. to pull that I'm that I'm not dreading it either. What I'm interested to see if it's going to happen is, is we're just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling like in the uh, comics where we just we insist on the continuity until a certain point comes and then we just kind of go boop and it all starts over again. We get a new Captain America origin story, a new Iron Man origin story like that's been the pattern with Spider-Man, of course, but I, I would love for yeah. this to keep expanding, expanding, and we get legacy heroes as opposed to just reboots. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. Thanks to you both for being here to talk to me again. Thank, thank you. you. And, of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. If you have a second and you're so inclined, subscribe to our newsletter. That's at npr.org slash newsletter. We'll see you all right back here on Friday. Drag has been around for a while. In the kabuki tradition in Japan, in minstrel shows, in vaudeville. But one TV show made it mainstream now. We break down drag's current renaissance. Check out NPR's It's Been a Minute now. Support for NPR and the following message come from MD Anderson Cancer Center home to one of the nation's largest cancer clinical trial programs of its kind, providing hope to patients through new approaches in detection and advanced therapies. More at makingcancerhistory.com.